This episode of Dosed is brought to you by Oblack Caps. So Oblack Caps, they provided refuge for me when I was stuck in the classic scroll hole on Instagram. Um, and yellow being my favorite color, their, their latest cap, which I'm wearing today, uh, Phosphit, totally jumped out at me. Um, so I ended up ordering it, ordering it from, from Instagram, which, or Amazon, I think it was at that point, uh, with no, if I'm honest, no expectations. When it arrived though, bam, oh my God. Like the, the quality, the style, the colors, like really pop. And for me, uh, comparing this to other caps that I've, I've uh, recently purchased, these are, if not the best, one of the best on the market at the moment. Um, but if I'm honest, that's not, um, you know, the style and everything is not really what captured me. Um, it was when I read their mission, which I'm going to read out to you guys, um, that was really, it just grabbed me, grabbed me by the nuts. Um, uh, and their mission statement is, our goal is to change the concept that people have of being a black sheep. Many look at these people as the displaced, misfits, or those who do not fit into the current mold set. But we see them as real people without fear of what people say, people who are true to their values and don't conform to the status quo. Harnessing this power as their innate gift, dedicating it to what they love, um, creating their own path for their life. What a fucking statement. <laughs> um, for me, that was like, wow, this is incredible. And um, I think if you are feeling feeling that um, and you want to embrace your, your inner black sheep, go and buy an O-Black cap. We also have a discount code because they are proud, you know, we're, uh, we're proud to be uh, to having them as our sponsors. So if you keep listening through the show, we will, I will drop the discount code so you can get money off these awesome caps. Evan, welcome to the show, man. Jamie, my man, thanks very much for having me on. No, no, no worries. Uh, it's really, really good to see you. And obviously you are, uh, you are first, our first Skype guest. So um, yeah. this might be a bit bumpy. Yeah, it might be a bit bumpy, so strap in. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure ready. I'm strapped in. I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, no, really good to see you. It's a shame I, um, we can't do this in person, but you know, we're not, we're not going to allow um, COVID-19 to restrict us. Definitely we're not, continue man. sharing. Definitely not. Continue learning. But look, what we can do, Jamie, when COVID goes away, if you want to fly me out to Malta, I'll, I'll happily come over on an all expenses paid trip. <laughs> to record all right, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, you know, when you when you need someone to come and present something, um, I'm sure yeah, you can. Definitely. I'm sure you can find someone more qualified in Ireland. So you can try that. <laughs> um, no but problem. yeah, like just um, uh, obviously we've we've been speaking uh, for a little while now, and. Um, uh-huh. Uh, and again, thank you. You introduced me to to um, uh, our man Daniel. Daniel's a meet, um, you know, great guy. So I really appreciate that. And um, no problem. Uh, you know, he says he's, he's got lots of uh, good stories about you as well. So uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All PG, sadly. I was, I was trying to get some. I was trying to get some dirt before before this, yeah, but yeah, yeah, he didn't have anything, sadly. Uh, Dan wouldn't share the dirt. I know, I know. He, he seems too clean. This is the problem. Yeah. And we need we need to try and need to try and tarnish him a little bit. Yeah. He's got small biceps. <laughs> tiny, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very very small biceps. <laughs> so um, just to really uh, introduce you really to to our to our listeners and I guess so. Um, obviously, I know you're a, a nutritionist um, to uh-huh. elite athletes. Uh, obviously, a number of them going to, to uh, Tokyo, but it'd be good to uh, initially just obviously understand your your field of specialization. Um, and then we yeah, can start okay. jumping into to your background and stuff. So 
my ties to Malta are pretty recent. Uh, I went to the University of Malta and I was the first international student to study dietetics there. So I only graduated in December from UOM. Um, so I'm a registered dietitian and I wanted to go on and specialize in sports nutrition. Mm-hmm. I've been working with athletes for a few years, so I wanted to just jump on and get a master's in it. And um, around the corner, there's a PhD waiting for me to start. Wow. Uh, so that would be all nice and interesting. Um, I suppose the work I do on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, it's just conversations like this, nice and relaxed with athletes of all calibers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's boxers, rowers, professional cyclists, Olympic level track and field athletes. And it's just about, you know, what do you eat for training? What do you have an after? And whilst the conversation can seem very simple those real simple things they have a spider web and a whole host of complex scientific thought processes behind them yeah and like a lot of people get kind of lost in that mm-hmm. and they kind of forget that at the end of all the science and the research and like the cell signaling pathways there has to be a practical application yeah and so that's I, really what i do and i get angle science which is which is really which is probably where you and Daniel link quite nicely because, again, going um you know uh, your professions overlap to a degree. Um, yeah. here's obviously tra- master training, professional uh, personal training, etc. Um, yeah. and there are similarities in terms of you have, you know, everyone. Well, not say everyone and his friend, but you know there are a lot of nutritionists, um, out oh, there, yeah. right? And um and and the the level of their uh, the quality of quality of, of um, what they're offering could be debatable at times. Sometimes, you know, even Very. I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm quite hot on my own diets, which is pro- you know, which is which is which is great that you're here because you know there's some of the things I'm going to discuss with you, just things that I'm doing Definitely. and and things things I'm probably doing wrong. Um, so, yeah, we'll do, do you have you have you seen that there's been an influx in in um, let's say your your off the shelf nutritionists as opposed to individuals that have really taking more of a scientific route like yourself. Yeah, and to be honest, like even my hometown here, uh, there's a couple of um, gurus and they give out crappy messages and they do things like they'll say, sugar will give you cancer and high-fat diets are the way forward and okay. veganism is the best. Yeah. And every time a false information like this is put out there, mm-hmm. it just dilutes like the potential of people who are actually formally qualified or evidence-based or go by science because what I say is never as exotic or appealing as all these kind of like false proofs and half promises. Yeah. So I I, I uh, guess because it's not as big bang like, oh, like, you you know, there's um, there's a book I just read um, called Rework where uh, in that they're saying it's good to pick a fight sometimes. Yeah, be purposely controversial. Uh, because then it makes you stand out. So do you think maybe that's where sometimes they've jumped on the, uh, you, can you call veganism a bandwagon now? It's turned into more of a religion, sadly. Um, I would, yeah. I, I, it can be, so look at the religion, like yeah. people have nutrition camps. Yeah. And the reason that has the ability to exist is because there is no one correct way to lose weight. Yeah. Which is usually the metric people measure a diet efficacy from. Hmm. Right. So our lived experience, what we've done and what we've seen that works, 
usually informs our opinion. It's one of the reasons why in evidence-based practice, an expert opinion is like the, the lowest level. It's the least regarded type of evidence. Yeah. Because humans are biased in, by nature almost. So then when, when you have people saying this diet is better than this diet, they're missing the point. It's yeah. all context. All context. Yeah. Um, and, and surely so there's there's a you, you um, and I've, I've said this to numerous guests actually where you everyone is an individual there may be things yeah. that, that impact my body that don't impact yours um, or, or vice versa you know things that work for me that don't for other people so I think um, mm -hmm. when you when you uh, when they're sweeping statements which you know we're yeah. continually using not just in in uh, diets and nutrition you know everywhere um, we, mm -hmm. we kind of need to always take a bit of a step back think for ourselves um i think is is, yeah. the, is the big thing you know we're, we're quite easily led sadly um i think that um idea of you said it there you need to stand out and be controversial that's a misapplication of business hmm. to science where yeah. it doesn't really belong yeah no, that's fair so like if i said something like or we we were doing an interview and you took a segment and i said sugar was bad and then you advertise it as Evan Lynch, elite sports nutritionist and dietitian says sugar is bad. I was totally going to do context. that. I was going to do that as well. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> like there are caveats to everything. Yeah. So sugar is bad in excess if you're diabetic. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar is bad if you have it in huge portions all the time. Mm-hmm. Sugar is bad if you have sugary drinks. It can ruin your teeth if you have them frequently. Mm -hmm. Sugar is good if you're exercising. Yeah. It's good if you have a hypo. Yeah. Um, so there's the basically there's good and bad to everything. This is this is the yeah. kind of the message really, right? Yeah. Interesting. But interesting. Here's a good litmus test that you and anyone listening to this can use, and I encourage my clients to do this with me. And it's how I see to other experts. If they tell you something, ask them why. <laughs> so sugar is bad. Why? <laughs> They'll crumble. It's amazing. Like a house of cards and yeah. wind. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's uh, something I've used quite a few times in my day job. When, when, someone, <laughs> when they don't have evidence to back it up, they're like, oh, yeah. that's because I read it yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. where did you read it? You read it I read it in on Netflix. Yeah, I read it in um the the Daily Mail. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh great, oh, the gospel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. Um so uh so going back to then uh, obviously you said you came over to Malta um yeah. uh, initially. So, so when did you when did you get back to Ireland? When did you head back? Moved back to Ireland in September. In September, okay. Okay, so it's been a, yeah. a good 9 months yeah. uh back and yeah. and, and yeah. what did you make of your um your experience in malta you know what, what was it uh, what, what kind of highlights would you say uh highlights definitely were the weather mm. and that i have this help. thing about blue green water oh wow yeah sea, uh, like, oh man yeah i don't live by the sea here in ireland um and i found the people to be quite friendly yeah like a lot of people like if you go to a different country they can say things like oh they don't like tourists or you know if you don't speak their language, you don't really kind of mess with you. Yeah. But I, I had to learn Maltese to work mm. in the hospital and to, to, to do my course. Which and is that's, a, that's why I, a tough language. 
as uh, as I can uh, yeah, test. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Can but you can you can you say I, any any uh, can you, you got any Maltese phrases left that you remember? Mushek. Mushek. And what does Mushek mean for the non-Maltese? Of course. <laughs> um, so what, how I navigated it, right? I spoke three languages before I came to Malta. Yeah. So I'm kind of linguistic. Nice. Okay. Um, and when I started the course, you know, all the theory was in English. And uh, on my first day of placement, I remember we were with these diabetic nurses. And I can just remember this phrase. It was like, and that's on half the insulin uh, and every time you eat. I, and uh, I just remember looking, thinking, oh, my God, I need to learn a whole language like right now. Yeah. Because whilst a lot of people in Malta do speak English, it's the older cohort that don't. Yeah. And those are the people who make up the majority of a hospital population. Of course. So and, and the patients coming in was, are typically um, yeah. traditionally Maltese. So yes. their command yeah. of, of English, where they may have some, it's going to be limited compared to um, being yeah. able to express themselves in the language that, that's theirs. So no, I, but I, I found I that when I, when I made a little bit of an effort, like they were just it's so friendly, you know? Yeah. I think in any country, if you make an effort to like embrace the culture and the local language, mm. of course, they're going to be more accepting of you. My, my, um, my favorite phrase is... Uh, Mushnefmek, Binglis get yodjbok, which basically means uh, Mushnefmek means I don't understand. Can you speak English, yeah. please? <laughs> which they go ah, oh! and it's like okay, so it shows I know a tiny bit, but yeah. um, it at least yeah. kind of helps. Um, <laughs> I, I found like people could see me struggling if I was doing a one-on-one -on -one sometimes, and you know, then they would just start speaking English. Like they would mess with me sometimes. Yeah. You know, they start smiling and say, I, I speak fluent English. It's mm. Yeah. And so, I, 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 think, I think it's, we're lucky, as well, um, obviously being British. Sadly, there's not many places in Europe that, um, let's say, welcome the Brits <laughs> uh, due to our um, uh, extracurricular uh, activities, especially on holidays uh, or when yeah. football is on. Yeah. Um, so there's not many countries. But Malta is definitely one, I think, it's just because of uh, us, us uh, flanking them uh, during World War Two and everything else. But there's just yeah. there, there's a lot of similarities in terms of... Um, how they how they interact as well. So there's there's lots of Englishness uh, in the Maltese, which there I was. which I which I love. It's, that makes it an easy country to move to. Yeah. Obviously, everyone loves Irish people all over the world. But like you know, it, it would have been grand anywhere. It's just good. But, it's, um, it's only because you bring Guinness. It's the only reason. I actually I actually don't drink. You don't drink. Shame. Oh, you don't. Are you, really? You you oh, wow. So, you're, so yeah. you're, okay, I'll I'll I'll, yeah. do, I'll do the drinking for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not a stereotypical Irish person by a long shot. No, which is, which no, is fair. no. And yeah. um, so uh, obviously you came over here to study. Um, firstly, yeah. having to having to pick up the language. Wow, that's going to be uh, uh, trying. Obviously, doing a so it was your masters, right? So doing a masters, which is intense, as well as a new language. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Uh, how are you even able to? Where did you start? Where did you start with that? Language first, or just um, both? I just had to just spend time every day at both. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm used to having a high workload. Yeah. Just all the time, um, but I like challenges as well. Like I find the five day off, I'm just sad almost. Um, so how I started was I realized that I wasn't going to be able to learn everything. Yeah. 
So most of my vocabulary is centered around what happens in a consultation. And then I slowly spread out medical terms, other foods, then like colloquial language, like, how are you? Good morning, okay. goodbye, things like that. Yeah, nice. So I, I just kind of had to shadow dietitians for a while. Mm. And I watched exactly what they were saying. And I just kind of parroted that. <laughs> you should have had a recorder. Just record what they're saying. Uh, okay, okay, I'll just copy well, that. I was, I, was writing, I was writing things down. And uh, I would ask them, like, what does podgy mean? It means sit down. Um, but that was that was day one. How it started. And this just kind of slowly came together. So, um, uh, so prior to you um going down this 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 path of, of being a, a nutritionist um yeah. and i so i know obviously you told me this before but it'd be good to kind of understand your your passion for sport and um yeah and basically your your, your original dream which was yeah. which was one uh, which i when i shared um when i when i was younger as well which i'll come on to okay um so i actually initially wanted to be an olympic athlete and my 10 to 15 year old self kind of thought that I would have been one by now. Mm. Uh, how old are you now? So I took, I'm 24. 24, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I ended up having to stop my athletic career about three years ago. I got injured and I just wasn't able to come back from it. And other things kind of crept in. But uh, I'll, I'll walk you up to that point. Mm. So I started a sport called race walking. Mm hmm a bit of a fringe sport in the track and field curriculum um, but my dad did it and he represented Ireland at it so I wanted to give it a go yeah it's tough it's uh, tough as well I know the yeah yeah it's you you have to keep you always have to keep one foot on the ground right yeah, at all times yeah and but yeah. you're going at yeah. a rapid speed so you know you it's quite easy yeah. to turn that into a run so it's uh, uh, a lot of people think that but they're biomechanically very different it's like asking a swimmer if they find it hard not to break out into a cycle. They're very like they're very different things. Oh really? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would actually be very hard to go from walking into running. Really? Okay. Um, but I used to train on the Tal Rock Sports Complex in Zira, just okay. by the university. Oh, and, uh, actually, we're just it's where the studio is. We're right next to that. Oh, go away! I lived. I only lived around the corner. Ah, really? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was literally 50 meters from the Hacker Cafe. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that yeah. is literally just around the corner. So we're so um, yeah, oh, the man. track is right behind us. That's where I used to train. Okay, wow. So if you if you want context as to how fast I was going, mm -hmm. my 10k PB was 44 minutes flat, which was just off of the World Junior qualification time. 44 that, minutes for 10k. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Walking. That is a approximately one minute and 45 second laps around the track wow that is impressive and i'm just thinking about you know the people doing a 10k you know i've seen people this yeah. week on strava doing 10ks in 50 minutes running yeah yeah wow pretty bad time. yeah that is insane okay yeah yeah um if you're looking for kind of a, something you can directly correlate against 2k pb is 730 if you wanted to try beat that let me know how you get on. It's, it's against it's your your two k personal best is seven minutes thirty. Second walking, yeah. Shit, that's uh. That, that was quick. That is quick. That was, that's the worst last time. Okay, 
Smart. I'm going to try. Okay, so I, I've I need I need to map out two kilometers. I'm going to run it yeah. within the next three weeks. I'll let you know how I get on. Putting the gauntlet down. That's the yeah. challenge. Yeah. The yeah, challenge. I, I fear I'm going to lose this, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I just it was just something I was good at. I won a national title. Obviously, that kind of spurs you on, and you want to do more. So by the time I had to walk away from it with injuries at the age of 20, 21, I'd won 20 national titles. Wow. Okay. Represent, represented Ireland 11 times at world and European level. And, um, and I had a couple of Irish records to my name. Not sure if they're still there. Wow. Okay. That's, so, that's impressive. And how, how do you, one, how do you train? But even before that, how do you even, you're not necessarily taught that at school or PE. Like it's not, oh God, it's no. not a common thing. So how do you, oh, no. um, before we get into training, how do you, how do you even get into it in the first place? How do you know if you're good at my, it? My dad did it and I just wanted to try. Yeah. I was bad at every other sport. Okay. So I was like, right. Got to be good at something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and the training is exactly like marathon running, but you're just walking. Right. Okay. But is there like, you know, if you, um, just from you know, I, I love the Olympics and athletics. So whenever I've seen mm-hmm. um, one of the races, uh, are they called walk races? What, what's the actual official name? Uh, race, walk, race walking. Race, race walking. Um, yeah. And it's, some of them have like a, a particular technique, like where it seems like almost they're using their shoulders. Is that is that is that a, something that helps, that, or is that just their own technique? Uh, it's kind of just counterbalance. You don't really take, you don't consciously do that. Okay. So for that, from that rule, one foot on the ground at all times, mm-hmm. you can use your shoulders to kind of keep you anchored. So they're like um, anti-up and down movements, right. we'll say. And if, you use, if you're rotating your shoulders and your arms, that whole rotation and stability just kind of keeps you as efficient as possible, mm-hmm. basically. So that's, some people are more um, flamboyant with their shoulders. Mm. It's kind of... Um, I don't know. It, it just depends on the person's biomechanics. It's not that's not a trained aspect of it, though. Right. Right. I see. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in terms of training, then, so is it just purely like okay, hit the track? I mean, obviously, do your strength training, um, but mm-hmm. it's more endurance mm-hmm. endurance training, I'd imagine. It depends on the distance. Right. So, like I said, it was similar to marathon training. If you're a fifty k walker. At the time when I finished up, I was a 20k walker. Okay. So it would have been like half marathon training. Yeah, I see. Um, but all the way up through like underage junior on the 23, I was 5k, 10k, 20k. So big variance there. Yeah, wow. And I suppose one thing about elite sport, even if it's marathon training, you train, you still have to train pretty hard. Like you have to do the easy stuff. But like there's huge monster workouts in there as well. Like my toughest session used to be um, a 20k progression session. So you would base it off heart rate. So 150, 60, 70, and then 185 beats per minute in 5k splits. So every 5k gets about a minute and a half faster. Wow. Um, okay. That's a pretty tough workout. Okay, I can imagine. Yeah. I Jeez. the best one I ever did. The final 5k, I did it in about 21.15. So that is 1.42 laps of the track, finishing at 20k. Wow, okay. Uh, and yeah. So 20,000 so 20, meters is how many laps? 
it is um 50 50 laps okay wow just yep. to just to yeah put into to, to perspective of people wow. <laughs> yeah. okay i can see why you could potentially get injury if you're well so so what, what happened with the injury so obviously it was something you, couldn't, you, you couldn't come back from called crepitus in my ankle joint okay it's potentially very severe tendonitis really okay. so i woke up one morning got out of bed and i couldn't put weight on my left leg and that stayed on and off for about a year and a half really and then like yeah did you get that scanned like how did you know where did the diagnosis come from physiotherapist just my if you move my foot my ankles are increased um he said that's preferred no need for a scan <laughs> there's nothing they could, there's nothing they could really do um I, I managed to walk for maybe 10 minutes and it would it would just come at me again really and wow. there's only so many times if you kind of pick yourself back up and get knocked again instantly yeah like and i would be tenacious enough but it was just it was just at a stage where it was so heartbreaking that i couldn't couldn't keep doing it wow and to come so, so close as well to be like okay you you've you've um you know, you've dominated yeah. Ireland. You've you've gained another number of records. I need to I need to now yeah. do some digging. Surely you have one or two still left. Um, but yeah, to to get so close, I'm sure it must be. Uh, yeah, it must have yeah, been it tough. Was tough. Yeah, it was tough. I was I was say I was dominating in my age group. Mm -hmm. So like I was just about to break into senior level. Would have been a different kettle of fish then. I would have been probably fourth or fifth nationally um but it's in a it's very small elite sport in ireland yeah anyone who's doing it at senior level they are olympic athletes right wow. or international like level world class yeah so it's not that kind of um fun runner sport you know you have to be good or you don't do it yeah yeah of course basically and and which um uh and again uh race walking is just i don't know much about um, in terms yeah. of the uh, countries and, and uh, the, the the champions, etc., who who is there? Yeah. A, is there particular countries? You know how you have like with the long distance running. You typically the Somalians, yeah. Ethiopians have, have always dominated or been um, been uh, dominating countries. Uh, is there is there a particular country um, when it comes to walking that's that stands out? There was Russia was number one. Really, they were all doing they were all doing extracurriculars. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, really, yeah, really dark support for that. <laughs> um, the Chinese are were pretty good. If there was any kind of consistent powerhouse at the moment, I would say it's Japan, Australia, or Colombia. Colombia, Spain, wow. yeah, yeah. Okay, so Spain is good as well. Okay, so there's no, there's no particular country that jumps out other than Russia because of their drug taking. Um, per capita, you could argue that Ireland is one of the best. Yeah. We have had three world champions and consistently placed very highly. Yeah, wow. Have you have you uh, come across any um any potential athletes uh in Malta for walking? Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, there's not. a there's a space there at least. Oh, I think maybe that's the yeah. problem. There's not enough yeah. space in Malta to for them to walk yeah. far enough. I think in the year I was there, I did something like 6,000 laps of the track Six. and walked up and down the promenade in Zira and uh, Kajbish maybe 200 times. Yeah. 
you know yeah, <laughs> it's got a bit repetitive <laughs> yeah, that's not too many places you can change it up that's not really, not really. <laughs> so um i can only imagine uh having to face that uh would have been tough mm. uh, initially um yeah and then it, was it a natural prog natural um, progression for you to go into um nutrition and, and becoming a dietitian or, or was that something that you were you just searching at that of, moment? Uh, like how would i say this this is my new athletic oh okay nice that makes sense my yeah. new conquest yeah, yeah yeah i was at the time i was halfway through a bachelor's degree in food science and health mm -hmm. when i kind of ended up leaving sports and then when i finished that came to malta to study dietetics and now I'm doing a master's in sports and exercise education. Right, nice. And so just natural. What What are the, and maybe they're the same, but is there is there a difference between being a dietitian and a nutritionist? I'm very glad you asked. Yes, yes, very. <laughs> um, a nutritionist is not qualified to work in a hospital, to work with sick people. So anyone with diabetes, heart conditions, food allergies or intolerances, gastric problems, anything with like even the slightest hint of a medical complication, mm -hmm. they can't do that. Because they're Legally, just not qualified. Wow, interesting. They're, okay. They're not qualified. They're not qualified. Yeah. Um also a dietitian, you're bound by a code of ethics and you're you're registered. So you're you're part of um an organization that kind of holds you accountable to what you do. And you are obliged to kind of keep learning and developing. It's called continuous professional development. Yeah. It's a requirement of the job. Right. So really important distinction. And you you can tell a nutrition a nutritionist on online because they usually talk about like allergy and intolerance testing. Really? That's one of their mainstays. Wow. Um interesting to know. Uh, Delighted Booth, who were doing that food tolerance test, mm -hmm. they test that using IgE antibodies, which are non-specific immune antigens, and they're present anyway, right? Right. Okay. And here's the interesting thing: is, is this they're... is this related to the to COVID or just your immunity? No, God, no. Okay. Okay. No, okay. Like... It's just allergy intolerance testing. Oh, and it's an example of how nutritionists kind of grasp onto things without really having too much of an understanding mm. and like completely misinterpreting. So let's say I had this cappuccino about an hour ago mm -hmm. and there's milk in it. Every time I drink milk, my body releases an IgE antibody against that. It's kind of like um, microdosing my immune system against milk. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You do that with like colds and flus and viruses as of well. Course. Yeah. So when you do an intolerance testing, if you gave me a food diary of the things you commonly eat, mm -hmm. those are the things that will come up in red on an intolerance test because you're going to have the biggest IgE response to them. Because your immune system is most familiar with them. I see. Okay. So, so this is this more. is where it gets a bit kind of like salesmanship magic. Because mm. I, I recently had a client who spent 400 euros on this in Dublin. Did this IgE test. And surprise, surprise, most of the staple foods she eats 
were in red to avoid they were they're selling it as a cause of her problem but that's purely because it's highlighting in in your your immune cells it's the thing that happens anyway yeah it doesn't mean anything yeah but that's because you are regularly taking that that's where it's flagged where if there's other foods i wouldn't typically take but i will have the same response but because it's not as prevalent in my diet that's why it's not flagging yes right interesting so if they use ige antibodies test them run away very quickly ige antibodies run (laughs) done good luck okay nice okay good tip just interesting to know yeah and I know nutrition nutritionists who talk about all types of allergies and sensitivities and they kind of weave their story to fit the narrative of someone who's suffering from some digestive symptoms and then to them that's the answer. Right. They laugh, they grasp onto it like Because that's what they're selling. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Really wow, it's really yeah. interesting. Okay. Okay. Wow. So that's a big, that's, so that's the big difference ultimately that you so is there like a, um, like a, an annual summit or something that, that all dietitians have to attend or is it an uh, ongoing thing or is it more necessarily, there's just a load of events happening all the time and you know, you can go to them. You have, you have an obligation to do a certain amount of CPD. Yeah. Um, so like, like you kind of, you're on prerogative essentially. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, ultimately, if you my know. master's degree would be my CPD. Yeah, I see. Okay. Basically. Okay, brilliant. And um, so ultimately, there's a lot more studying and science that goes behind being a dietitian as opposed to a nutritionist. Yes, always. Just to, to simplify. Okay, so. Yeah. You, you have to understand medical side of things, the underlying physiology, uh, behavior change is one thing we would look at. Um, and you have to be able to work like in the context of a medical setting. So understanding pharmacotherapy, disease pathology, things like that. And even, even reading a blood panel, you have to be able to do that. Like, oh, really? okay. So wow. all of those things go into being able to tailor a nutrition approach to someone. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay. Yeah. So let's get on to your without obviously ruling too much uh, some of your your clients so so your clients are typically um obviously you have a whole host but um uh, mm-hmm. quite a few of those are elite athletes um some of yeah, them some of lot. them were due to go to tokyo or, or will be going to tokyo at some point as well right yeah yeah um i won't do names but there are two guys i'm working with at the moment um both are european medalists mm-hmm. both are walkers yeah uh one already is an olympic athlete the other is trying to qualify for Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And even, I suppose, to go into a bit about what I do with them, a drink strategy for the race. So Sapporo is going to be incredibly hot. A, a drink? So, a drink strategy? Yeah. So wow. In a 20 or 50k race. Yeah. Um, the biggest things from a nutrition point of view in all, in all endurance events are, can we limit dehydration? Can we keep them cool? Can we stop them hitting the wall? And maybe if we can get caffeine in at specific time points, and that helps their performance. Oh, really? Okay, because obviously caffeine is yeah. a drug, but it's uh, it's, it's yeah, it's an ergogenic aid. Yeah, yeah. So Didn't even stomach problems as well. Can we avoid stomach problems on the day? That's another aspect of it. So what goes into what I would do with the 50k walker? We'll say to be on his feet for about three hours, 40 minutes. Uh, it's going to be maybe 30 degrees. 
maybe hotter. Mm-hmm. So we want to get maybe six to 700 mils of fluid into them every hour. Make sure there's a little bit of salt in there. Frequent caffeine delivery. Um, using ice hats to keep his core temperature down. An ice hat? And ice, ice hat, yeah. Wow, okay. So, okay. Another thing. Um, and the whole reason behind that is for every percentage dehydrated you get, so I'm 70 kilos, if I lose 0.7 of a kilogram in sweat, that's 1% dehydration. Your core temperature rises by quarter of a degree. Okay. Yeah. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but every percentage dehydration is a 10% drop in aerobic performance. Wow. And cognitive function. So that's huge. So 10%, if we're wow, looking at the 50k walker who is dehydrated by the time he's at 20k, he could lose 30 minutes easily. Wow. Okay. So this Massive. is this is when you're really dealing with these, um, you know, percent, you know, really low margins uh, that you're yeah. you're kind of working with, right? Just to, to the small gains, uh, all add up. Yeah. So those those small gains, they really can add up. Like if if one percent dehydration, which by the way, you don't even feel thirsty if you're one percent dehydrated. Thirst comes thirty minutes after one percent dehydration. Really? So it's it's really tough. To, um, and if you're losing 10% of performance capacity, simply because more blood is going to the surface of your skin and try to cool you down, you just have less oxygen getting to your muscles. If that's a 30 minute drop, like in your time, you're going from top five to maybe top 30 and good luck to the medal. Like that's Shit. not happening. Um, so it, it is really important. And so with the other guy, the, the guy who's trying to qualify, sorry. No, I was going to say, is that, so is there a lot of, there must be a lot of testing because you need to know, uh, again, it goes back yeah. to the, the individual. So some people will respond yeah. but or get dehydrated quicker yeah. or some people will respond to certain yeah. levels of glucose more than others. So how, mm-hmm. before um, before a championship race, how much yeah. testing have you had to, like you've had to kind of probe them and be like, right, this works, this doesn't work. Months. Wow. Months. So the hydration and fueling strategy and like I haven't even got onto the carbohydrates yet. Um, that starts like for Tokyo, the guys who are pushed back to 2021, that starts now. So it depends, like someone's tolerance to fluids and fuel during a, during a race or exercise conditions. That's very inter, there's a lot of intervariability there between people. Um, if someone has IBS or IBD, that will also affect how you can fuel them up. IBD? Um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome or irritable bowel disease. Oh, disease. Okay, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Most athletes don't have IBD. Some yeah. recreational athletes do. Okay. And recreational athletes I'm working with, some of them are doing Ironmans, so you have to do this stuff as well. Wow. Um, so the biggest factor in someone tolerating high fluids and high carbs in training is practice. So on race day, it's nothing new. And the physiological kind of max someone can oxidize in an hour of exercise is 90 grams of carbohydrates. 60 of which will be from maltodextrin or glucose-derived sugars, okay. 30 grams of which will be fructose. fructose so that's yeah. usually enough to kind of sort most people out. And there is a little bit of research at the moment to show that probiotics can up that further. So with the guys who are doing events that are over two hours long, that's enough time to run out of glycogen. So the, the challenge is with these guys, can we buffer their stores of glycogen beforehand? 
and keep them top, topped up on exogenous glucose intake to stop them hitting the wall and crawling over the finish line, basically. So this is why you so see the gels. That, you got like the jellies and stuff, or the gels that you is, is, is that a form? Yeah. Is that how that's how you're giving them this this fructose? Yeah, yeah. So how I actually do it with my athletes, and I'm trialing this at the moment with um, a cohort of athletes in Cycling Ireland. I'm doing a project with their athlete development team. Mm-hmm. Like these are the next like Irish versions of Chris Froome or whatever. Wow. Um, we're we're making our sports drinks from scratch, so it's actually really kind of cool to do because it allows you to start off at a low like level, similar to a Luxed sport or commercial sports drink. Yeah. And then we can build up slowly as per the person's tolerance to 90 grams an hour high fluid intake. And that, that can take a few months. Um, so you just kind of practice that. You're, you're kind of, you call the carbohydrate challenges. Okay, we challenge this person with 60 grams, 40 malto, 20 fructose, sprinkle of salt. How did they get on? They were fine. Let's bump it up to 70, 80, 90. When we're at top level, then we'll try things like probiotic supplementation and just going over that level, over the 90 grams an hour, just to see what happens, really. The more we can get in, the better. Um, again, this is all about buying time, buying back some glucose, buying back some some like, uh, some like margin between high performance and the wall hitting. Yeah. And if you combine that with somewhere between six and 700 mils of fluids per hour, that's usually enough. Some people have high sweat rates and they lose a lot of sodium. Mm. That's something you have to test in a lab. That's not something I can I can test it. They'd have to go off, get that looked at, and I get the results and I could I could put that into a plan. Um, so usually it's kind of like bigger guys, bigger upper bodies. So they'll, they'll suffer a little bit more. So, but it is it is individual. When you when you're flooding, then um, I say flooding is one of a better word. Um, these athletes full of, of glucose, um, yeah. you know, kind of high sugars. Yeah. Um, can there be a mm-hmm. point where you're, and I guess this is, this is what you've just alluded to, that you're, you're going to test it just to see what happens or how much they can take. Can it, can it, have, can mm-hmm. it end up having an, an ad- adverse effect if you end up putting too much sugar into the blood? Because like, you know, then you're going to have a spike up and down? Or, or is, is, that, so, is, that, is that a myth? So if you have someone just sitting on the couch, and they take on 90 grams of glucose, they're going to get a huge blood glucose spike, mm-hmm. followed by a massive insulin spike to try and filter that out and yeah. to just cope with it. Your body doesn't like to have very high or very low levels of blood sugar, and it reacts accordingly. Yeah. When you exercise, your insulin sensitivity goes through the roof, mm-hmm. and you also get a massive increase in glucose transport. So if you have 90 grams of glucose, and it's not, again, it's not you don't chug it down in one go. Mm. It's taken in six to seven kind of smaller boluses during an hour of exercise so that's one difference as well mm. but when you're exercising that um that kind of insulin action isn't required because in, in your cells usually they're closed for all intents and purposes to glucose you need insulin to help get it in when you exercise essentially they open a little door on the surface and glucose can get in by itself really basically Wow. Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. That's, that's okay. why exercise is really helpful for helping diabetics control their blood glucose because it allows them to do it without relying on insulin sensitivity or production. It's kind of like you bypass the whole pancreas um, involvement. Mm. So that, that's one aspect of it. If it's high intensity exercise as well, your energy requirements could be like 10 times your weight in, in calories per hour at least, maybe 12. Um, 
So you're going to be burning at a high, high rate. Yeah. Um, and if it's intense, which it always is in race scenarios, and this is something we might, we might touch on afterwards. This is a bit of a nuance. When you're over about 65% of your VO2 max, which that's not, that's not hard work, for example. That's like easy jogging. But then you're in a race scenario, you're working at around 80 to 85% of your VO2 max. At least high-level athletes are. The guys I work with would be. At that level, it's almost physiologically impossible to metabolize fat for fuel. Not possible. Um, your energy requirement is too high and fat metabolism is too slow and inefficient to match it. And also, your, your blood flow to your adipose tissue is reduced because all your blood is in your muscles, so you're not getting transport of fatty acids from your stomach to your muscle cells. So that's one reason also why you need to really like ramp up the carbohydrate intake because you're burning through your glycogen like very, very quickly. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it is. It, it's really, really cool stuff. And like the dynamics of it and how it changes depending on activity, the time, the intensity, the athlete themselves. It's just an interesting puzzle to try and put together for people. Um, and it gets more interesting then when you have, say, the other athlete I'm working with, the other walker, he has tummy problems. And he would projectile vomit maybe five times a week training like before we started working together and it would happen in every race it's obviously not conducive to performance because you know you're losing all of your fuel and you're getting dehydrated oh my god it's bad for your throat as well so we had to alongside make sure that his fueling process was okay he was Mm -hmm. a 20k walker so we didn't really have to get 90 grams down him we could keep it to around 60 grams of maltodextrin and cut the fructose out Mm -hmm. because fructose can be malabsorbed it's, um, it falls into the bracket of a FODMAP fiber. Okay. So if you have a sensitive tummy, if you malabsorb fructose, it goes straight to your large intestines and uh, causes gas, bloating, cramps, and diarrhea. Interesting. So we wow. have to, yeah, yeah. And uh, this, again, this is where like the, the, the kind of medical and um, physiolog- physiology background is very, very important because that's something that can easily slip the net. Mm. But, but with this guy, we just kept him to like glucose derivative sugars. Maltodextrin is the best tolerated, so that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And before the exercise, like no fiber, no fat for a couple of hours before a tough exercise bout or race, simply because they have a long gastric emptying rate. Basically, if you eat like, um, what's a high fat fiber meal? If you would have bought a brand plate peanut butter on them for breakfast, mm-hmm. that's a lot of fiber and fat. That's in your stomach for hours before it goes into your intestines for absorption. Whereas if you had like, say, white toast with jam, that's all simple sugars. Yeah. So that, that's gone quicker. So a lot of people kind of struggle with this that, okay, if I eat this at, let's say, 9 o'clock in the morning, there's no way it could affect me at 1 o'clock in the day. And that's just not true. So some fibers and fats can take up to 8 hours in your stomach. Wow. Okay. So... Again, just another important kind of dynamic that you have to factor in with someone who has tummy problems on top of fluid loss rates, on top of the intensity of the exercise, on top of heat management and hydration. It's just, uh, it's just kind of another ball to juggle. Um, so so you, would, you would prescribe to one of your athletes then, um, ultimately you want them to get this fuel 
through them mm-hmm. as quickly as possible before a race rather than it being sat in their stomach just being digested slowly yeah. so in effect you'd say let's go down the simple sugars route to get you Definitely. some fuel into your system rather than just yeah. sit, sitting in your stomach and then and then you know taking longer and therefore having a, a having a, 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 a slower time. effect <laughs> yeah, yeah having a, a sluggish effect on on you on, on your performance wow god okay so, so not just sluggish but what actually happens when you start exercising jamie even at 70 percent heart rate like that's not hard exercise you lose about 90 percent of the blood flow to your intestines so anything that isn't really a simple sugar or water or an electrolyte you just have a high likelihood you're going to malabsorb it so what can happen is you can vomit you can get stomach pain you can have cramps bloating or diarrhea or all of them you can have all of those things as well so it's not it's not even a case of um you won't digest it as well you're not going to digest it and it's going to cause you a lot of pain and like problems so that's that's, um i'm just trying to think now when when i was younger i used to um i used to run i used to uh run for an athletics club uh funnily enough you know um so mo farah you know the uh yeah yeah, yeah, so i used to run he's doing my my club in my team and I used to do 400 oh, okay. meters and he used to do uh, 1500 meters. He was ridiculous, like insane. Still is. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, sadly, obviously, uh, as, I, as I got older, I, my ability to chase women in Arco was a bit better than uh, the finish line. Um, but <laughs> I remember the, um, uh, before a race, I would always get like, and I always thought it was nerves. Um, and I always get like, you know, maybe diarrhea or, or stomach pain or cramps. But maybe just mm-hmm. going back to what you're saying about the diet, maybe I was having things that were not suitable or required at that time. So it was being malabsorbed and, and needed, to, needed to get out of my body. If, if it was nerves, uh, if the diarrhea happened before you start warming up, that's anxiety and nerves, which okay. can have the same effect. Yeah. It's all fight or flight response and it has the same effect in your intestines. If it happens after you've started warming up, then it's the exercise. Yeah, interesting. Mm. wow yeah okay yeah so that's uh... that's that's just a good example of it's not just about numbers Mm. like this person needs fluids and carbs simple write down tick no thought involved there's a lot of thought involved and like even some other athletes i'm working with female athletes some of them have a thing called relative relative energy deficiency syndrome where basically these are reds right? just kind of reds yeah yeah just sort of seen about that you know what it is I don't know. I've only been reading your posts. So, um, so oh, please, okay. please enlighten okay. me. So red, basically it's kind of, um, it's a neuroendocrine this dysfunction really just from consuming way too little energy. And the international Olympic council have kind of a threshold of 30 calories per kilogram of fat free mass. Mm-hmm. So like muscle mass basically by 30 is how many calories a day you need to be getting at least to kind of, um, not not develop reds so you have to be eating very little for this to happen okay and reds can reds can kind of precipitate if a you're an endurance athlete you have a high calorie output right so alongside like high energy outputs certain athletes can fall victim to picking specific food preferences because they want to appear like to be like an athlete you know like on the instagram hashtag clean eating and things like that um (laughs) And that can actually drive your calorie intake down right. because lots of the, I suppose, virtuous things to eat would be like salads, low carb meals, like 
berries and things like that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people won't post like the big bowl of pasta or porridge or like the homemade pizza yeah. that they definitely need to be eating. So that's that's one of the factors in the etiology of um, red S. Yeah, but what, why is why am I talking about red S? Well, what can happen for a female athlete is when their energy intake is consistently this low, their estrogen produ- production can be affected, and that can have a direct effect on their menstrual function. So, like, it's not uncommon for female kind of college age endurance athletes to lose their menstrual cycle and develop amenorrhea. And that's that's really kind of that's one messed up aspect of elite sports. Yeah. Um, and then in tandem with that, that estrogen kind of dropping effect that can have an effect on your bone metabolism. Mm. So you you can start to lose a bit of BND. You kind of you end up leaching a little bit of calcium from your bones as well. Um, so for athletes like that, the the third prong of it is iron deficiency anemia. So they're going to have very low ferritin stores if any and their hemoglobin is dropping so and uh, and i suppose the implications for let alone general health but sports performance are this you are not capable of tolerating exercise mm-hmm. you can't run or really do anything aerobic without getting out of breath within like two minutes and you can't put too much pressure on your bones or they will break really not conducive to performance wow, yeah, so if, if you have an athlete who's at risk of that um and a lot of athletes are more at risk than, than they would like to think. Like one thing I see a lot in my practice, and I don't, I don't know if this is really like a clinically classified thing, but I would call them subclinical eating disorder cognitions, where they talk about having food guilt, feeling shame for eating certain foods, um, like real negative emotions around around certain food choices, and mm. like their like their food relationship really affects their mental health. But they might necessarily have a a BMI of below 16.5 to classify them as anorexic, yeah. basically. And they mightn't engage in like binging or purging or laxative use, so they wouldn't be bulimic either. Um, so that's that's subclinical. It's like there's something not right, but it's not like a full-blown clinical disorder yet. Yeah. And a lot of athletes have a touch of that. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. So for, for a female athlete with red S, what you need to do is you have to supplement them with calcium and vitamin D that has to go way up. Their calorie intake has to just jumping on that. Around forty-five. So your vitamin D. So just before we, um, so red S stands for again. Relative energy deficiency syndrome. Okay, and um, you were saying about so obviously the calcium is affected. So vitamin D. So and and I'm, I'm just yeah. want to jump on this point because um, yeah, I've only I've, I heard about it this week. Uh, and how okay. um, uh, how so many people are, are deficient in vitamin D, and actually how it is, yeah. it, is it turns into it's processed, it's absorbed and then processed and turned into a hormone, um, which has um, uh, a huge effect on your ability to absorb up to forty percent calcium, which yeah. which is insane, um, and this is never spoken about. I've, you know, I've only heard about it this week. So is is that something you you've been aware of or? Oh. Yeah, vitamin vitamin D is a real problem at at um at a lot of levels. Um, so in Ireland anyway, we don't get the sunlight or the UV index. Mm. So we tend to have lower levels. In Malta, people just don't go outside in the summer, so they miss the sun. <laughs> so they get they have the, the vitamin D deficiency is very common in Malta. Actually, I do really? know that for a fact. Wow, that's so yeah, surprising. Yeah, counterintuitive. Um, what happens then is most people as well by trying to be healthy they avoid fat rich products 
and vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. Yeah. So if you're going for all the skimmed milks, the low-fat cheese, you're avoiding nuts, seeds, yeah. avocados, oils, like healthy oils, not like soybean oil, um, you're missing your vitamin D. And it's, you know, you actually need a lot and it's hard to get. So most people I'm working with, I'd analyze them on the software. And if they're, if they're vitamin D deficient, I just put them on a supplement, like a generic one. Um, the hormone you're talking about is calcitriol. So that's that's what helps you absorb calcium in your body. Mm. Um, so yeah, being vitamin D deficient is just not a good thing. Um, definitely not for athletes, but it has direct impact on immune function and recovery ability. And even like there's literature there recently for, for just coronavirus that being vitamin D deficient, again, because of poor immune function, it makes it much less likely that coronavirus is going to be a good thing for you yeah um they have studied as well that like very high doses like i'm talking a couple of thousand percent of the the rni the reference nutrient intake per day um can help with with coronavirus but i wouldn't personally do that um you know rest get your fluids in that would be more sensible guidelines to take but i've i see it plastered all over social media vitamin d can cure coronavirus it can't no, being no. vitamin d deficient will make it harder for you to deal with coronavirus yeah not the same thing it's not kind of um it's not a flip switch that being deficient causes x so having way too much stops x yeah yeah and does that make sense yeah of course but ultimately you're saying um getting outside in your back garden in the sun isn't it going to be a bad thing for you anyway uh, just as long as no, you're doing it, no. as long as you're doing it safely, and you're not going to infect other people. Um, which yeah. Is, which yeah. Is, uh, and and expose and, your forearms. <laughs> and where? Uh, so, do, and maybe again, this is down. This is uh, individualized. But is there a is there a recommended amount of um, vitamin D? It's UVB, isn't it? UVB is the uh, is the radiation is the ray that you need um, for vitamin D. Um, is there yes. a, is there a certain amount of time you should be in the sun that you know that is going to spike that? Twenty to thirty, twenty to thirty minutes per day is is um, is more than enough. Yeah. Okay. So that's just that's, 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 that's just a, that's just a short need. walk, really. You know, just to walk, walk along yeah. the promenade, or yeah. even if you wear a t-shirt. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the the, um, the, the reference nutrient intake is around five hundred IU's per day. So international units, that's that's essentially what it is, or 10 micrograms yeah, MCG, wow. if that's what you're looking for on the side of a, side of a box, yeah, wow. basically. Nice. Okay, wow. Okay, so yeah. um, that's given us a really nice insight into, obviously, your, your elite athletes. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you have, well, I mean, you, and you're going to have clients that aren't, you know just a regular like myself or just you know just someone that normal people yeah, yeah. They, they, you yeah. know they want to get their their lifestyle in order uh, yeah. maybe they've tried yeah. some of these you know uh, maybe they've tried being vegan um mm-hmm. uh which maybe has worked for them but maybe they've tried a number of different diets um mm-hmm. you know some have had success some some haven't um mm-hmm. have you uh what what you know you've touched on it already but what are your thoughts on on the types of diets out there in the moment and um okay. what do you what are the common things you find with with your regular clients um in, in relation to this they hold on very dearly to their dietary proclivities it's almost how would i put this 
let's say you came to me at the time and you say, look, Ev, this is what I've been doing for years. And then I kind of sit back and go, hmm. Some people take it as a direct insult that, you know, essentially if I say to someone, that's not great. What I'm saying is for the last however many years of your life, you have been incapable of correctly eating. Like one of the most basic human functions, you've been doing it wrong. Nice. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so you're so an you idiot. Be, there's there's <laughs> nice. a kind of, yeah, people yeah. can take it like that. Yeah. And people really kind of identify with their dietary protocol. Mm. Like a good, like it's a meme I know, but how do you know if someone is vegan? They will tell you. <laughs> how do you know if someone is on a ketogenic diet? They will probably tell you. Yeah. How do you know if someone is paleo? They're probably wearing leather sandals or they will tell you. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah, signs. Yeah. Um, so you have to be careful with how you broach that. Mm. Um, but I often find most people are open-minded if you explain the rationale nice and clearly as to maybe why what you're doing isn't optimal and you have to kind of make it clear for them why it's beneficial to change because behavior change is difficult. Mm. Just by virtue of the fact that you're still alive and healthy, in your mind, that's enough of, uh, I suppose... What's the word? The validation of all the decisions you've made relating to your health to now, because it's work. You're still surviving. It's not, you know, it's not not working. Mm. Otherwise, you'd be in the ground. So you really have to kind of help them make the cost-benefit analysis of change in favor of change. So yeah. it's it's hard to get people to break a habit or to, to change anything. So yeah. I like to start with real simple things. Oh, you drink normal soda, and we just make that a sugar-free one. And maybe that's all we do for a week. And, okay. and and maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it really it really is, you know. Um other other things I might do is something like, okay, your portions are way too big. Instead of me getting you to measure your portions, let's maybe try use like a hand guide. So I'd like you to have maybe three fists of veg in your plate. A piece of protein should kind of be like the size of your hand, not not including your thumb, mm -hmm. and like a fist of carbohydrates. But here's the cinch. I want you to eat the vegetables first, then the protein, then the carbs. And then I might ask them, like, how many, how many times they chew their food or if they eat quickly. Do you know, Jamie, how many times you're supposed to chew your food? 25 times. Scientifically speaking. 25 times? 30. Actually. 30? Okay, 30. shit. <laughs> yeah. B minus. Most. <laughs> B minus. Not no, no, for me. <laughs> most people don't chew their food five times. Yeah. Okay. So why this is useful and why this is the way I might go for before I get people to measure their food is because between your tummy and your brain, you have like, it's called your enteric nervous system. And it tells your, it takes your tummy 20 minutes to tell your brain that, look, I am full. So if you get someone to chew their food, maybe two or three times more than they usually do, mm. and they're eating the veg and the protein and the carbs, what happens? By the time they get to the carbohydrates, they're probably full. Yeah. They're less likely to finish everything on their plate. And they've, they've stocked up on the nutrient dense than the protein rich, which are your two big players in satiety yeah. and weight loss. So whilst it sounds like, you know, not very extreme, it's actually very useful. Yeah. And there's even been some interesting research in diabetes management that the order you eat what's on your plate affects your glycemic response post post eating for a while and it can even affect your kind of um likelihood of craving and like nibbling at things you'll feel fuller if you're kind of engaging in what's called mindful eating yeah. so it's essentially a delay tactic to make you feel full before you eat a normal portion and it works super well that's, so that's i suppose really the best way to describe what i would do with people is 
we go for the low hanging fruit first, mm. go for like the simple set. And if they work, amazing. Then we just need to make sure they get their five a day and hit their fiber intake. Yeah. Is that, is that also so something I mentioned on a, a previous episode? Something I've, I've done, I've, I've done a lot of kind of personal testing, whether it be right or wrong, just because just to see how my own body responds to stuff really, because I, I'm not trained, I'm, I'm not, I've not been to university to, uh, to study any of these things. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've done um, now is separating my carbohydrates and my proteins. Um, so if I'm having a protein, I'll typically have it with a salad or vegetables. And then maybe if I have potatoes, I'll, I'll have them afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. And that's purely because I'm trying to, and I've noticed it's, it's stopped with bloating. Um, because my understanding, and again, this is why I'm asking, because maybe it's totally wrong, um, mm-hmm. is that the starches um, or the you know the, the uh, carb easy carbs like you know, white rice, etc., they're, they're uh, a lot easier to digest than your proteins and your and your rich fibers. Um, therefore, um, they everything. But if you eat, if you having having uh, pasta and chicken. And it's all mixed mm-hmm. up then it all gets digested at the same time because it just thinks it's all pasta and therefore the um uh the chicken isn't properly digested before it's in your um your your digestive tract is that true or uh, or is there any truth to that or or um or not not really okay not really. Nice. okay um so so, so what, I'm glad what, we're here. what we could look what we could say is that People don't eat nutrients, they eat foods, which are ma- food matrices, essentially what's on your plate, mm. at least when it's in your stomach. So remember I had mentioned gastric emptying rates. Mm. If you have protein, that can be somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes, depending on the person and pasta, let's say. Yeah. That will mechanically churn in your stomach. You will release acid, you will release intrinsic factor. That will break down all the amino acids in your tummy into little building blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that's all kind of uh, a nice thick consistency called chine, your stomach slowly releases little pulses of it into your small intestines where your gallbladder and pancreas release digestive enzymes mm-hmm. and the brush border on your intestines. Essentially, the surface of your intestines does the same thing. So there's not a whole lot of truth to it. Okay. Um, what can happen is, depending on the carbohydrate you're eating, if it's a high fiber or like a whole meal carbohydrate, mm-hmm. And it also, if you have a lot of vegetables there, that can just be a big fiber load, which can cause a little bit of bloating. Mm. That would be about it. Um, right, okay. But no specific reason or rationale for pairing one with the other and yeah, okay. not okay. not another. Doesn't fair make sense. No, fair enough. Okay, this this is uh, this again. This is why I'm, it's good to learn these things. So, yeah. um, going back to then your uh, so your when you when you're helping clients. Initially, mm-hmm. you're not trying to just overnight totally change their stance and everything. It's uh, it's Doesn't a very work. very very gradual process. Uh, yeah. is, is there a, is there like a do you set a goal at the beginning with the, with the client? Do they have a goal in mind, or is it just a gradual and then you review gradual uh, improvement? Mm-hmm. They always have goals in mind, um, depending on the person. Like I had a guy last night. Obviously, not going to say his name, but he has a BMI of 37. Mother had type two diabetes and he has high blood pressure and 60. He's 110 kilos, okay? Same height as me. Wow, okay. Yeah, so my goal for him, although he doesn't know it, I don't necessarily have to tell him, 
is I want him to lose 10% body weight. Mm -hmm. So we'll reduce his type 2 diabetes risk by approximately 50% right, wow. in most cases. That's, that's, the, that's the value of that, especially if it's kind of on his mother's side. Mm. Um, so basically, I've told him, like, okay, look, we're going to go for a little bit of weight loss a week. I don't put a number on it because unless I hook someone up to a, it's called a calorimetry machine, and I can track their steps like with a pedometer perfectly over the space of a day. I have no idea how many calories they require. Yeah. Everything else is a best guess. Right. So how I work with people, and I full disclosure about this every time, I'm reacting to how they're reacting on a weekly basis or right. a bi-weekly basis, depending okay. on how often we check in. Yeah. And that's that's all they need. Yeah. You know, where a lot of people are guilty is they assume that, yep, Humans are humans, and this equation can just account for that, and that's not really true. Um, so what I what I always try not to do is to kind of be putting square pegs into round holes. So we'll start with what, like the I suppose, the most educated guess and the best protocol would be for the person. See how they react. They yeah. react well. We make small changes. If they don't, we try a different thing. There's a hundred right, right ways to do nutrition. <clears throat> and how it do just you... depends on kind of what go on yeah sorry so i was gonna say bringing in uh, things like uh let's say alcohol alcohol or drugs drug use uh mm -hmm. or abuse <clears throat> even um do mm -hmm. you have you had any clients previously um with with alcohol or drug abuse and and how have you how do you go about if so uh, uh, how have you gone about not, kind of working around not it? drugs um no, I can't say I've met people who, or I've worked with anyone really who has been addicted to drugs. Mm. Um, coffee, I guess. Coffee is a drug, an addictive drug, mm. um, psychoactive substance. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, technically I do work with most of my clients are addicted to coffee. I am. <laughs> um, but like in, in terms of the illicit ones, not really. They're not really the cohort of people who will be coming to someone like me. Yeah. They typically don't tend to do well in elite sports either. Of course. Um, so that, that hasn't happened yet. Some of my more casual clients, they would like a pint or two. Um, and that, that discussion has been sometimes like, okay, you like to drink two pints a day. Uh, okay, maybe can we drop that to one a day on average? Yeah. If we can, that's great. You have your alcohol intake. And, then, and, and I suppose what I've done with some people is, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and then what, what uh, so by doing so, are you then giving them the numbers of, of what, impact it's having or what improvements it's having to their body for example you know i'm going to be one of them so i had maybe two pints last night um and then mm -hmm. that obviously now has an impact on my dehydration so are you, are uh, you, could, do, yeah. Yeah. Are, you are you so then uh, do you then highlight the by by reducing down to one the in, the improvements in x and y by doing so or mm -hmm. okay i would do that i would say okay look this is your goal you want to lose weight uh, this is your alcohol intake. Yeah, it makes it much harder for you to get to your goal. Yeah, you kind of have to type back into what they care about. Like yeah. most of the people who are kind of the the drinking clients are over the age of fifty and not sporty. They don't care about dehydration or sports performance. So right. that's like you know preaching to the wrong choir there. Mm. Um, so basically, what we tie it into there is okay. Well, high alcohol intake, given your age, bowel cancer esophageal cancer, gout, liver disease, kidney problems, yeah. increased weight gain, mm. <laughs> all things you don't want. Yeah. 
So usually that's kind of enough. And I'm not, I'm not so heavy on the scaremongering. I just say, look, can we try this for a week? And then their experience is kind of all the positive feedback they need. They just feel better. Yeah. You know? And they probably the, co- so, the cognitive function as well is, is, is vastly improved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I do if I can is I get them to swap from an alcoholic to a non-alcoholic. Yeah. And that's, and it's a gradual kind of push then towards like, okay, well, let's try sparkling water and a non-alcoholic today instead of two beers. Yeah. And that's ultimately where I'd like it to end up. Yeah. Um, what I got one guy to do is he used to like go to this pub where there'd be like stuff put up on the counter, like cocktail sausages and crisps. And I was like, okay, look, maybe we can do better than that. If you brought a bag of popcorn or like Walker's baked with you, would you be happy to nibble on that instead of what's on the bar counter? He said, yeah. And that was one of the things that had the biggest impact on his weight loss. Really? Wow. Okay. It's just such a simple, just simple he was measures. A, he, was a da- he, was a, yeah, he was a daily regular. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just hooving up those so cocktail sausages, which are full of... So uh, if I was an asshole, I would have gone through all the science behind why alcohol is bad and all the metabolic effects it can have and blah, 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 blah. And he would have just left thinking I was an asshole and wouldn't have changed anything. But lost over that. It's like, bro, here's what we can do. Keep it simple. Let's do this. And it worked. Wow. Okay. So that, that's, again, goes back to your, your method, really. You're not, you're not trying to totally change their lifestyle drastically. It's, it has to be a, a nope. softly, softly, easily achievable yeah. goals. Yes. The re- there's a very good reason for that as well, Jamie. Um, Self-efficacy and someone's own opinion of whether or not they can do things, that really is important for long-term success. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you were a client and I was like, right, Jamie, week one, what we need to do, um, here's your macros, hit them yourself. That would frazzle you. You won't do that. That's way too, that's out of reach. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll fail week one, get disheartened, see how far you have to go and say, not doing this. There's no point. Um, parallels can be drawn with, with everyone and like in, that was only an example obviously mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you do fine but you, you know what I mean <laughs> I didn't take you it personally to, <laughs> <laughs> you have to assess the person so yeah. someone who drinks two points a day and has done since their wife died five years ago you're not taking away their only social outlet the, the psychological ramifications of that far outweigh the physiological benefits of it mm. you know so that you have to find a compromise um and it's all about thinking and understanding the person as well so that's where a little bit of psychology comes into place behavior change um and like to be honest it's a skill as well as an art you know or it's an art and a skill as much as it is a science so that's that's something that i'm getting better at like Mm. i know i'm still i'm still pretty young like i mean my first couple of times like i used to look a lot younger even like two years ago so you, you see someone like me saying look you need to stop drinking and like i'm younger than their children you know it doesn't always go down well so i have to kind of learn how to compromise and like deal and and coach properly i suppose from from like the offset otherwise no one would listen to me yeah which is fair enough and and you've got a you've got a young baby now right 12 weeks old so i mean that's that's definitely gonna add a couple of years to your face so (laughs) (laughs) actually i have me me and my partner emma we have um, we've coached her well already. She only wakes up once a night on average. Wow! At Seven o'clock in the morning. That's incredible! Wow! For a twelve for twelve weeks. 
Wow. Has been like this for about six weeks. Wow, fair play. How have you managed that? Uh, routine, routine, routine. Yeah. Um, drop the interaction in the evening time. Don't be as kind of entertaining. Yeah. Give her a bath. Little psychological cues that it's bedtime, it's sleep time now. Yeah. Uh, all lights go down, no noise, no stimulus. That's yeah. it. Wow. Um, yeah. And fair, fair play. I suppose having a bit of knowledge about chronotypes and like body clock psychology, you know, physiology health as well. This is this is good for adults too if you have problems sleeping. Mm. Like pretty bright out there today. Mm-hmm. Like first thing in the morning, what I do and I, I I documented on Instagram at Edinch Fitness, by the way, if anyone is looking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> drop it in. No, it looks right. Um, I'll go outside with a coffee and I'll take my glasses off and I'll just get like direct sunlight onto my eyelids. So yep. what happens then is that goes through my retina into my photoreceptors, straight to my super chiasmatic nucleus in you know, a hypothalamus, and it tells my mor- it tells my brain, oh, morning time. This mm. is the time to wake up. Yeah. And the, the coffee gets a little bit of a cortisol spike, which isn't a bad thing. Um, basically, do that first thing in the morning. You're reinforcing your body clock to kind of have those physiological and hormonal responses to getting up. And that can help fix your body clock for the rest of the day, basically, because it's, it's a diurnal thing. You get cortisol spikes in the morning. You get a melatonin spike at around dusk in the evening time, maybe 10 p.m. It kind of peaks out, I think. So... If you can force a car cells by first thing by sunlight, coffee, first thing, maybe some exercise in the morning and a larger calorie intake before maybe 2 p.m., mm-hmm. you have a much better chance of sleeping properly at night. I've, I've just um, published a blog actually uh, about, about sleeping as well. And one of the, uh, one of the tricks, I, I typically would sleep okay, but I would sleep quite late. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, was, I was just, and I found that I was constantly waking up um, tired. I think I've been working. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working a lot anyway, um, but um, one of the tricks I've I've gone uh, gone with now is that um, so your your melatonin levels uh, because of the phones mm-hmm. we have and the blue light yes. um, are yes. drastically reduced to what they you know what they used to be uh, and what and mm-hmm. what they should be um, so much so I was and I was even um, so in bed I would be reading stuff on my phone you know for whether it be on Twitter or whether it be articles. Just you know, just just yeah. as information, because I thought you know this is this is a good way for me to read and, and keep up up to date with you know for things like this, mm-hmm. etc. But I know uh, after doing reading and research, I've seen then the impact that can really have on your melatonin levels. Um, therefore, yeah. so it end up taking much longer for me to properly get into the right uh, the right pattern of sleep. So um, mm-hmm. I've been doing I've been doing this for a week now, but this week has been incredible for my yeah. how I've woken woken up because from. So I'll go to bed typically now at midnight instead of one o'clock um, mm-hmm. and no phone and I'll have a book. So instead I'll just read a book for maybe 45 minutes. Then I'll fall asleep naturally, um, you know, maybe within half an hour or even 15 minutes if it's a boring book. And um, yeah. uh, now and I'm waking up earlier. So I'm waking up now at eight in the morning, feeling yeah. so much more refreshed. Um, so That's much great, so where I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to now work. So I, I never used to work out in the morning. I used to hate it. I'm like, oh. It'd be a real struggle for yeah. me, even like and doing, especially the power, any doing any power exercises. But now this week, mm-hmm. I've just been absolutely nailing it. I've been like, wow, okay, wake up, roll straight out of bed, not even, you know, not even um, snoozing, just kind of cracking on. And I just, it's, it's just a small tweak, but it really yeah. has made yeah. a massive difference. 
um, just yeah. cognitively, my my ability to recover, and therefore want to do more. So it's um, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of unreal, like the uh, the the impact of sunlight and and well, your melatonin and and serotonin levels. Here's an interesting one for you. You can add to your re your regimen for sleeping. Caffeine has a half life of six hours, mm. right? So if you have um, if you have a cup of coffee at about I don't know six o'clock in the evening, which is eighty megs of caffeine, you're still forty in your system at midnight that night. So yeah, if I'm, you can, no, I'm, yeah, I'm good with coffee. I mean, I I, I max out three coffees a day. I mean, strong coffee. If you can switch to decaf after like two o'clock in the day, you'll sleep a lot better. Yeah, I I just try and smash my coffees in before twelve, and then I'm then I'm good. Yeah, because that's 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 the way to do it. Because decaf, I'm sorry, it tastes like badass. It's not great. No, it's well, horrible. decaf tea is okay if you like tea. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. The decaf tea is fine. Decaf coffee is stink. I will be a coffee snob now as well. <laughs> I wouldn't drink decaf coffee. It's not nice. No. no but thanks. even that extends to uh, Coca-Cola, energy drinks, chocolate even has caffeine in it. Yeah. Well, um, limiting those things at nighttime will help okay. sleep. Good tip. And there's a difference between, as you definitely know if you've researched it, sleep duration and sleep quality. Mm. So waking up tired is a pretty good sign your sleep architecture isn't what it should be. Yeah. Probably influenced by caffeine, stress, um, blue light, exposure late at night, not having an exercise regimen or kind of consistent way at bedtimes. And like, I know about this because it's re relevant to nutrition and sports performance because diet can affect it and it can affect diet if you don't sleep you don't recover you don't build so there's no point in laying guidelines for protein intake or creatine supplementation or recovery protocols it doesn't matter anyway if you don't sleep properly you you're not physically capable of recovering mm. and on that if a client says they have bad sleep like that's in my screening forms i ask them about their sleep if they have crappy sleep they're much less um resilient against cravings just kind of going for cracked food not putting in any effort uh they're more likely to fail and it's actually linked with increased weight cortisol levels cholesterol levels diabetes risk and cancer what's your view on uh intermittent fasting because it's quite it's quite prevalent at the moment uh, there's there's been some science behind it to, to highlight its benefits but, but but um you know what's your what's your view on that if you're willing to share if it suits the person's lifestyle, it would suit my lifestyle. I would happily just drink coffee for the first three hours I'm awake yeah. and then like, spend six hours in the middle of the day eating. Yeah. Um, it can have a degree of benefit in terms of it, it promotes autophagy or your cells to repair themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not feasible for most people to do it because that requires a 16 to 20 hour fast, yeah. which isn't. It's not, it's, not, it's not really integratable into like my life, for example, mm. where training and business and family not applicable. Yeah. For athletes, really stupid thing to do. There's nothing, nothing smart about de-optimizing your protein intake and kind of missing out on post-training recovery windows just so you can like stick to a nutrition camp. Interesting. If it, if it fits the person's lifestyle, I would say it better the way. But yeah. Yeah. for most people... The biggest reason it works is because you just have less time to eat. That's it. That's essentially it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like, eat your dinner now and stop. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it's like, oh shit, the time's okay. Fair enough. Right, that's for tomorrow. Yeah. Most, most diets package the same thing in a different way. Yeah. They package 
eating more fruit and veg, yeah. healthier protein, having a better awareness of your, your health, maybe exercising more because you're on a diet and doing things because you're on a diet, mm-hmm. but they just package it in a, in a different message. Veganism, you cut out all processed things in general, and maybe you get a little bit political. Vegetarianism, you're going to cut, definitely going to cut out like deep fried things, fried products. Um, you're, you're being pushed more towards just consuming like almost only vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds. Yeah. That's really conducive to weight loss. Paleo, anything with a wrapper, good looking tanks, is, you're just not left with much to play with. Yeah. And same thing with, with uh, ketogenic diets, it's the same. They just cut out kind of Western staple foods and our biggest crutches and it's just they're not in the rule book, so you kind of just don't go near them. Yeah, I see. It's not it's not really sustainable because what you're you're going to be paleo for six days a week, and then you're just normal for that like two hours where it doesn't suit you to be paleo. You're going to have a crack in your own kind of I wouldn't call it a moral compass, but belief system. You know, um, it's it's not something that you're going to do forever. So why kind of have a, like an on and off approach when you can just make one. I suppose, flexible, consistent dietary approach. Yeah, nice. Okay, brilliant. And um, uh, before we start wrapping up and stuff, it'd be good to get, um, if you're willing to share, like a couple of a couple of meal tips, like maybe a, like a nice lunch someone can prepare today or tomorrow, even because yeah. this goes out on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> uh, so what, you know, what can they, a lot of people are working from home at the moment. So if I'm at home, uh, what's an yeah. easy yet healthy uh, and balanced um, meal for me to prepare. Probably what I'm going to have as soon as I get off the phone is a homemade pizza. Oh, okay. So whole meal wrap. Ah, yes. Yeah. Tomato puree, low-fat mozzarella, uh, cut up a pepper and some chicken in the oven or under the grill. Ten minutes done. Take her out. Sprinkle a parsley and extra virgin olive oil, and there you go. Job Fifteen done. minutes. Yeah, nice. Super easy. Um, my other, I suppose my other go-to snack would be a pot of quark or scar yogurt with a couple of cheese seeds, flax seeds, and frozen blueberries. Takes two minutes to make. Yeah. You don't actually have to make it. You just put things in the same pot yeah. and you get a spoon. It's really tasty, actually. Yeah. Um, those would be my kind of two biggest things. I'm a very lazy cook, yeah. to be honest. Like My other real go-to meal would be I would just put a piece of salmon on a, on a pan, dry fry it, put some asparagus, peppers, and baby corn on the other side of the pan. They cook at the same time. Bag of microwave whole grain rice into the, into the microwave. Yeah. Five minutes, dinner is ready. Dry fry. So uh, I know you've, I've seen one of your, a couple of your Instagram posts about dry frying. And because um, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of using extra virgin olive oil. Um, but I know there is an, yeah. imp- there's a, it changes over a certain heat, right? So what do you know about that? So extra virgin olive oil, it has um, a smoke point near 200 degrees Celsius, but the contact heat of most pans on conduction hubs can be like well over three or 400 degrees. Mm. So unless you're sauteing all your food, it's not really appropriate to use oils, especially oils that have a high degree of unsaturated fatty acids in them. Um, because what will happen is they're very unstable molecules in general. They break down into peroxides and the, this is what an unsaturated fatty acids looks like from a molecular configuration point of view. When it reaches its smoke point, it does this. It becomes a trans fatty acid, right? Have you ever heard of a trans fat? You know, do you know what that means? No, I don't think so, no. So trans fats are like, there's very few 
things that humans eat that we can definitively say are absolutely bad for you. Mm-hmm. Trans fats are absolutely terrible for you. What they will do is basal inflammation goes straight up. They suppress HDL cholesterol, your good cholesterol production, promote LDL levels to just rise, and they make you insulin resistant temporarily. Trans fats are super bad for you. Wow. So where where would you normally find trans fats? In deep fried products. Deep fried fried products. Right. Or baked baked goods as well. Really? So no pastitsis? Limited pastitsis. (laughs) Mush cool yum. (laughs) Okay, nice. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so um, in terms of your, uh, if people want to get hold of you, well, actually, no, before that, um, yeah. where are your clients typically based? And, and um, if, if people want to reach out to you, um, you yeah. know, for, for further help, I mean, are you, are you just limited to, to Ireland and, and Malta? Or, or? God, no, no. Uh, so what I do is I work in an online coaching manner. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm based, I live in the south of Ireland, but most of my clients, they don't live within 200 miles of me. They're from Northern Ireland, the UK, the US, Dublin, couple from Malta. Um, so all I need is an internet connection, your email address, and maybe a WhatsApp or Skype handle, and then we can chat. That's yeah. it. That's all you need. Nice. Effective coaching is just about communication. Mm. Um, I actually, for the first time ever, I have a waiting list that you can get in this like looking to come on board which is nice. you know amazing i've been i've been kind of building this for about four years now and you know it's at a stage now where it's a full-time job and instead of people wondering like god what's fit not there's people like <laughs> waiting to join the fit not team it's kind of um i'm waking up pinching myself yeah so nice. if anyone is listening you're thinking about coming on board go on to instagram at e lynch fit not e-l-y-n-c-h-f-i-t-n-u-t slide into the dms or click the link to sign up for online coaching if you do it today or in the next few days you probably be put on a waiting list for one or two weeks and um i'll aim to get in touch with you and have a conversation or a video call as soon as i like to kick off all my online coaching with a little bit of human interaction because it, it's a personal thing yeah. um and then we'll get you started but yeah anywhere in the world if you speak english it definitely helps my small degree of maltese can help uh, if you're French, I speak fluent French as well. So, um, bienvenue. Um, really? Yeah. So you can email me at. Um, can you put like my? Yeah, I'll put, I'll put the links. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the links on the um, right, uh, on right. Spotify and on our YouTube channel as well. So um, oh, great. So, so like my guys. email and website and everything else are like down there. Yeah. Or amazing. over there or somewhere. <laughs> amazing. Not hundred percent sure. But uh, you get the gist. If yeah. you are interested, get in touch. Get on the FitNot team. Pretty successful team, if I do say so myself. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the again, the level of detail uh, you've gone into and uh, is 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 unreal. And um, being able yeah. to explain things and and uh, in more of a layman's term, in, in layman's terms, really. I yeah. think we'll just help people because you've got you've clearly got the the evidence based. You know what you're saying at the beginning. You you, you, you there's a lot of there's nutritionists out there uh, that would say yeah yes. okay do this. You know eat, go down a keto diet or, or go down a yeah. um, you know you need to be vegan or you're, you've got IBS. You know, these types of things which are pretty yeah. basic um, uh, when you're comparing that to to what obviously what you the level of depth you're going into. So. Um, it's, it's, it's basically night, yeah, it's night and day. It really is night and day. So um, hopefully yeah, this is this yeah. will 
will spark a few um, uh, people's minds just to be like, okay, actually, I need to now really think about doing this. Um, but I think the, yeah, the, the, common, um, the common thing you'd always say is that people need to be moving, right? They need to be exercising as well. It's not just yeah. about diet. Um, uh, Definitely, if possible. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is great. So someone, someone like Dan is, you know, I actually, I still work with Dan a little bit. Um, how, how I know him as well is we were doing a master's degree together in Malta, which I had to leave. And I was working in his gym and we were kind of getting ready to take over Malta and the fitness industry there. Yeah. Um, so I work, I work with Dan. I work with um, some coaches here in Ireland. I work with Athletics Ireland, Cycling Ireland and Dublin City University. Wow. Um, so those are the, like I work alongside these people because it's not, you know, I can't do everything. I can do yeah. a lot, yeah. but I need like some expertise in S&C, personal training, that goes an awful long way alongside what I do to help you people get where they need to be. So yeah. it's definitely team teamwork makes the dream work, you know. Yeah, nice, I like it. And yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Dan, Daniel, uh, I, I caught up with him uh, yesterday actually, and uh, oh yeah. Um, so as you may know, uh, or, or maybe some viewers that listen to YouTube, or um, even the listeners on Spotify, um, there you may have noticed an absence of my co-host Stephen. Um, and uh, so he's just not available for, for a little while. I will put, put it out there. I promise he ha I didn't make him do that backflip after Daniel's interview. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the reason he's not here, I promise. Um, uh, but he will be in and around uh, as and when he's available. But um, one of the things we are now thinking about doing, just to give me a bit of company, I mean, for, again, whoever's watching this on YouTube, <laughs> It's a bit lonely up here. I'm just like, I've, I've got space for a team and it's just me. So uh, we are um, now thinking about uh, bringing on some guest co-hosts uh, with Daniel being one and, and a few others, uh, Denise potentially being one as well, um, as, well as, as well as Stephen. So just to, uh, just to add a level of um, medical or, or kind of fitness, uh, uh, add a perspective from that for that side as well. So uh, hopefully... Um, You'll, you'll be able to see a bit more bit more of Daniel than, than you have been uh, up on here. Stuff. So, um, but I did I did say to him, look, we may be talking about ayahuasca, so you're going to be you're going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said I'll, I'll try and taint him a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, man, this has been uh, really, 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 really insightful. And uh, when I when I first met you, and when we first had the conversation, uh -huh. I reached out to you. I, I knew yeah. it, I, I had that really good feeling. I knew it would be. Um, so it'd oh, be thank you. Um, thank you. I'll, I'll be kind of keeping keeping an eye out for you and sharing everything yeah. I can on on uh, YouTube and and, and Twitter. Appreciate and that. Um, and uh, Bowman, stay in touch. Uh, we'd love to kind of uh, maybe kind of yeah, see your progress. Definitely. Maybe get you back sure. on before um, twenty twenty one Olympics. Um, and I think um, if you wanted to do a nutrition Q and A in a few months' time, just asking people if any questions or vlogging whatever comes up, that might be an interesting um, thing to do. Yeah, we can maybe do a live show. Yeah, I think this is the yeah uh, definitely. Well, uh, this whatever, is this man. is the beauty of, of um, what we're trying to create with Dose is that we're still super early in in informing this, and I think the mm -hmm. the message is that we just really want to um, get people to think for themselves. You know, unplug from. Um, what they're being told uh, or being spammed, what's being thrown at them is actually, you know, do a bit of research yourself or listen and, and question yeah. things. Um, and yeah. then and then you can then build your own uh, knowledge um, through channels like this or others. Um, um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we're just trying to provide real information from real people. So uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this has really Definitely. helped. It's really been useful. So 
I really appreciate your time. I know you, I know you, uh, you said you missed a, a client by mistake, so you probably need to run. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I get back from there in a minute. <laughs> and the others. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And yeah, really good to see you. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll no doubt see you uh, for a Q&A session sometime soon. Look forward to it. Look nice forward one. to it, man. Brilliant. All the best. All right, guys. Have a good day. Cheers, Evan. All the best. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. 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 So um, I also want to make a just very quick announcement. Um, one of our wonderful guests from the last season, uh, Rachel Holway, um, she sent me a message last night um, with regards to a, uh, a big charity hamper um, her and a number of local businesses are doing for the Richmond Foundation Fund. Um, uh, because next week is Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, and what they are doing, they're putting together, um, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's going to be a pl free Pilates class. Um, there's going to be free food from Fuel & Co. Um, she's going to kill me because there's so many more things to do, but it's all just for five, five euros. So a five euro raffle um, will give you access to so much, um, uh, loads of goodies, basically. Everyone likes goodies. And it's probably, I think the value of this is, is close to 150 euros just for five euros and, and all the proceeds are going to go to the Richmond Foundation Fund um, uh, to allow them to uh, be able to support all the people um, on the island that need help, especially when, you know, we're all being quarantined uh, at the moment or, or having to isolate. And there's been a huge, huge increase um, in uh, challenges around mental health um, and, and suicide uh, not rates, but uh, potential suicides. So um, we need we, we as a as a as a nation really need to kind of support um, what they're trying to do, and, and this money will go towards um, being able to put more people on the phones to be able to help more people um, in the time of need. So please do go on um, her Facebook page, which is Reach One Hundred. Um, I'll also put a link on the uh, on this podcast with Evan. Uh, just so you can go on and support it. It was five euros for 150, um, at least 150 euros worth of goodies. Um, and it's all for a good cause. So please do go and support it. Thanks, guys. So thank you guys so much for uh, for tuning in, uh, whether it be uh, in your ears or, or uh, using your eyes on YouTube. Um, if you are on YouTube, please, please do subscribe uh, and, and share this share this with everyone. If you're on Spotify, um, please do, uh, again, subscribe and uh, keep downloading and ultimately feedback we want to feedback and understand uh, more you know what you want to hear of uh, what's good what's not uh, so we can continually improve and we do as i said at the beginning we do now have an amazing new sponsor called oblack uh, totally love 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 their brand on their message and we and they have been and we're lucky enough to have a discount code so if you want a beautiful hat um like this you can see it if you're on youtube um otherwise check out the uh podcast the um dosed underscore pod podcast instagram page uh, for one of these caps if you go onto their website and type in use the promo code dosed 15 d-o-s-e-d 15 you can get a awesome discount on these awesome caps um, there will be giveaways coming as well later in the series. But um, so stay tuned and uh, I'll see you guys soon.